Welcome to Hyperspadius Conversations with co-host John Filippelli and Bonnie Steinberg. We are members of the community that have experienced living with Hyperspadius, and we want to begin the dialogue with members of that community, the men, women, and parents whose lives, or the lives of those they love, have also been affected by this common yet largely unknown condition, and to create more safety to have these conversations. Okay, well, welcome to another episode of Hypospadius Conversations. I am your co-host, John, here with my co-host, Bonnie. How are you today, Bonnie? I'm fine. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Thank you to Tom for joining us. Indeed. Let's get right to it. Uh, Our guest today is Tom from London, uh, who is here to talk about his experiences uh, with Hypospadius. Talk about, you know, we're going to drill down to some really interesting aspects of that, talking about you know, having confidence, uh, building our self-esteem, all those sorts of things, and really coming from someone who's lived it. So, so welcome, Tom. How are you today? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Fine, fine. Thanks. So um, to get started, if you could just tell us a little bit about your medical history, you know, and your experiences with hypospadias. Right. So when it comes to my medical history, I've had quite a few surgeries. So I was born premature when I was born I basically had to get put into like an incubator for like six months and the doctors would over overwatch me and um it was at that point where my parents sort of was told the list of things that I've I guess needed fixing so that list was um a buried penis which I had to get corrected um severe hyperspadias um chordy and undescended testicles outside of that I also had hernia repair as well when it comes to the hyperspadius in particular that one's a bit different than the other surgeries because i had i had that one fixed when i was quite young so i had it corrected at about i want to say around about six months old and growing up because i had the berry penis had unseen testicles they were the main focus for me because they were the things that still needed to fix them so when it came to the hyperspadius that wasn't something that really troubled me growing up because i'll just focus on that the other things that i wanted to get surgery for for the longest period of my, of my life, it just didn't affect me. Until I was around 19, I went for my barepina surgery. And it was during that surgery, they realised that the hyperspadia surgery I had done um, corrected at six months old, it was done poorly. And it was leading to um, some issues with growth and development. And it was at that point, when I was 19, they had to undo the surgery. So they, so basically when I was six months old, it, what, the way they corrected it is they moved it from my testicles up to roughly where the tip is just maybe slightly under and that's how I lived with it from the age of six months to 19 I didn't know any different and then when they undone the surgery they put it back to where my testicles are so at that point I sort of had to learn to adapt and it was very weird because for the longest period of time all I wanted to fix was the very penis so once I had that fixed and then I had the hyperspadius undone it was like oh like I'm in two minds here the thing that I wanted to fix for so long that's fixed but now I've got to deal with things that St. Kells that now needs corrected, which was a bit of a, of a struggle for me. But the doctor still said to me, don't worry about it. We can still have have surgery, which was like, it kept me going. It kept me thinking, all right, cool, I can still get this fixed. And when I was around, I think I was 22, I went, I kept going for checkups and they said, oh, um, we'll, we'll book you in for surgery. So when I was 22, I went for another surgery to get my hyperspadia once again fixed. And it was during um initial checkup just before the surgery that they told me there's nothing more they can be that can be done because basically I, one of my surgeries I had a skin graft on the inside of my mouth and the skin graft failed 
and that was the part they wanted to operate on. And they told me because that part of the skin rather failed on the underside of the helmet, they can operate on that. And they said the best thing we can do is move it up to mid shaft. I didn't really that wasn't the ideal look for me. So from there I sort of said to them, oh, I'll just leave where it is. So that was when I was twenty two. I'm now twenty four, almost twenty five. So from that point onwards, that was I guess the moment where I sort of thought, all right, I've got severe hyperspagus now. I have to learn to adjust and this is just me now. And so I just need to so I just thought I had to learn that it's a part of me. Mm-hmm. Sure. So how many how many procedures have you had total? I'm not too sure about total. Um, so I've had, I'm pretty sure I've only had the one five stages when I was six months old. I've had unascending testicles, surgery, I've buried penis, chordy. Some of them were multiple procedures. So I think maybe I want to say around six to be safe. So, I mean, you just, thank you for sharing all that. In terms of how your parents and you handled this, can you talk a little bit about that? Like, what did, what did you know early on? What did they tell you what did they not tell you how was how was that relationship as, as it related to hypospadias so when it comes to my parent i think to them it was a bit of a, of a shocker because um i've got so i've got a sister as well and so when, when they had my sister there there been no issues so when it came to me they expected the same thing which would just be a smooth sailing they um during the whole uh pregnancy when they were getting scanned they would never identify my sex they would keep saying oh i'm in different positions they can't really up identify too well and it was the same when i was born as well they had, i had to have um, tests to make sure i was in fact a male so during that time my parents couldn't really see me either because i was in the incubator and the doctors just sort of just said to him he needs surgery he needs this he needs that it needs to happen so they sort of thought the doctors had the, my best interest in mind and at that point in time as well we, we didn't have like the internet we didn't have a computer at home or anything like that so it wasn't like we could go my parents go on there and google and and um, find out any information so to them, it was something completely new that they never heard of. And they're getting told all these different medical conditions that they don't know anything about. And I guess it was just scary for them. And on top of that, doctors keep drilling into the head that this needs to be fixed. It needs to be done. As for like myself growing up, I, I, I did hold in a lot of emotions. So I would never really open up about it to anyone, let, let alone myself. It was nothing I ever sort of sat down and thought about. I mean, when I, when I was like in the bath or in the toilet, times when I had to actually see my, my genitals, that's when it was sort of hit me a bit. But apart from that, I would try to just blank out every sort of, every single emotion about it. During school, so like in the change rooms and stuff, we didn't have to get like fully naked or anything. So there was no like big deal there. But during um, school, we, we would do uh, swimming lessons. And during swimming lessons, we would be getting completely naked. So... What the school put in place for me is uh, my parents ended up actually chatting with the school, and I, I was um, also I also had a cousin in my year, so me and him would have our own changing room where we would get undressed, and all the other boys would have their own changing room as as a collective. So I was sort of separated, but no one ever sort of noticed or cared to not acknowledge it. So uh, yeah, throughout throughout school, it wasn't really like something that people knew about or maybe secondary school when i was around i want to say around 15 16 i got into a i remember i was out with a few friends and we were just hanging about and i went inside to get i think it might have been a drink or something and i came back outside and they thought it'd be funny to play a little prank where they'd pull down my trousers they didn't know anything about anything that was going to be down there or anything it was just like a little little joke and then at that point i needed my berry penis surgery still so it was quite clear that I was, I guess, somewhat different. And I remember that going a bit around the school 
once um once that came about but when they did that actually like pansy i remember i, I ran off crying like just because that point no one knew i never told anyone either yeah. so that was a, a bit of a struggle they went around school a little bit but i guess people just didn't believe it because to them it's just unheard of so they probably thought it was just rumors so right. the people that come up to me and ask me about it they're more just curious if it's real or not and i'll just say to them well, i don't know what you're on about and it sort of just got under the rug. I'm sorry you went through that. I mean, that's you know for myself and also for so many of the other men that I've spoken to uh, over the years. There's such a sense of uh, shame, you know, uh, that kind of gets connected with this, and it doesn't have to be that way. But you know, I mean, being put in a position like that, I, I mean, I think anybody can appreciate how difficult that must have been. But especially for those of us that have been affected by, by hyperspadius, you know, in that way is just, you know, really hard. So, I mean, so how did, how did you deal with that? How did you deal with the self-esteem issues? Uh, how have you built up your confidence now with, with, in so many different ways? So I would say I never really opened up about how I felt about myself until I was around, until I was at university, I was around maybe 22 when I first started opening up about it. Um, I was dating a roommate at the time, I guess because we were living together and we were just dating, we were chatting. I um, started feeling really comfortable about it to the point where I would just opened up to her one day and just spoke to her. Like be be Beforehand, my friends, knew at this point they, they sort of knew the surgeries and everything but they didn't know like the psychological effects they didn't know how i was feeling inside at this point in time i didn't really probably know either i was starting to get to grips with it all but i wanted someone to talk to and at the time i was at university i was away from my parents so the closest people to me was my roommates i spoke to her, uh, my roommate about it and we had countless conversations and it helped sort of me be a bit more open about it and sort of realised that I don't have to be afraid of it. I don't have to hide it anymore. And then from there, when me and her didn't work out, I got with another uh, another woman from back at home when I was still at uni. And um, she helped me as well build up more confidence. We talk even in more depth about it. I, I built up so much confidence that I sent her my first nude. And at that time, that was like a big deal for me because like that, that was something just that I just never imagined doing. And then from there, I just sort of just kept chatting to friends, kept chatting to family about it. And that's when I started thinking that I wanted to find others like myself. I wanted to start talking to people online. So I went, I think I, think I started off going on Reddit. And then that led to support groups on Facebook. And then it got to the point where I just sort of, I remember sitting down one day and thinking, how can I think of different ways to try and um, accept myself. And I sort of just thought I'll do a bit of trial and error and see what works best. So I remember thinking, now that I'm confident in myself a bit more, what's the next thing that I'm worried about? And that was what other people thought about me. And at that time, it was a bit of a ballsy move for me, I guess. I just thought, do you know what? I'm going to just do it. If I don't, if I don't like the results, I'm going to just delete it. And I ended up posting like a news on Reddit. And um, I, I just done it just to see what people thought. If they didn't, if I started getting hate, I was going to just delete it. But then bit by bit, I was getting comments, I was getting likes, and it was just building up. And after about seven to nine hours, I ended up getting about 8,000 likes on the picture, 500 comments, DMs of people saying they're going for the same thing. And it was just like, um, it, it was incredible. I didn't expect that amount of support, that amount of like feedback. And from there, I sort of realised that this is what I want to do. I want to sort of continue raising awareness. I want to put myself out there more and do things that I couldn't imagine myself doing. And then that led me to also going on um, UK television, where I've gone on a show where it's basically 
for people with body hang-ups who want to look into surgery. So I went on there to look into if I can have any more surgery and also raise awareness. And that was all in a space of two years, which was so I went from thinking I'm not really comfortable with my body. I don't really want anyone to see it. I don't want to talk about it to getting naked on live television and showing the world. So it was, it was, it's, it's been, it's been, a, it's been a weird but amazing experience. That's amazing. That, I, I mean, I, I can't tell you how, uh, and I, how impressed I am with that, that ability, that resiliency, that uh, confidence that you've shown um, and being an advocate, you know, that's, that's what you're doing. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Bonnie, what, what do you think? I'm just so moved by the story and by the transition from, I guess, well, you, you had your cousin going through school. Um, yeah. And so one of my questions was going to be, how did your parents or your family discuss this in the extended family or with friends? And so you, you had your cousin, that must have been an incredible comfort. But then to understand that the I, w- I would assume that the group that bullied you and pulled your pants down were mostly males. Yeah, so it was basically like a little joke for them. They didn't mean any harm by it. Um, in fact, I'm actually still friends with them to this day, and they've actually helped me out a fair bit. So, so yeah, it's just <laughs> you know you never know what's going to happen. So, but yeah, well, I wouldn't say I ever got that bullied for it. People were just more intrigued, I guess, by the rumors. Oh, so do you think that they did that trick, which? I would look at as a nasty bullying. Maybe I'm being too too um, inflexible. They did that to see because there was a rumor and they wanted to see if the rumor was true. Uh, not exactly. Um, so it's actually happened just out, just random, just just yeah, on the joke. Yeah. People that came up to me and were talking to me about it afterwards was just because the whole rumor went about. That's amazing that you're a friend. Yeah, they've actually helped me out a fair bit. I I, I speak to them most days, and they've uh, been nothing but support. It was just in that. I, I mean, we we were like fifteen, sixteen, so it's just like a little little practical joke, I guess. Right. You know, uh, a couple of things um, that I was taking notes when you were speaking to Tom about being uh, premature. I was premature and underweight also. Do you know if you were underweight? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And from you know, things that I've read and other men that I've talked to, that seems to be a very, very common common thing. Have you heard that before? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people I've spoken to has been been similar. And, you know, I was also curious, like, you know, how you feel about in terms of your relationships with the doctors that you had and that you're, you have, you know, now, do you have a good, do you feel like you have a comfortable relationship with them? Are you uh, able to speak with them, you know, comfortably? And um, since the age of, I think it was 22, I no longer need to go to hospital. There's no much more that can be done. So I've not spoken to them now for like two, three years. As for how I feel about the surgeries and the doctors, um, it's been a mixed result. I've had some good results, some bad results, but that's surgery, I guess. There's always, there's there's um there's risks, and overall, I'm happy with the way I am now. So, yeah, I, I would say I've, there's no grudges, and whichever whatever's gone wrong, whatever's gone right, it's made me who I am today. Sure. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how you found some of these support groups? Um. So yeah, at first I was going on Reddit and just searching hyperspadia. So I was searching all different sort of keywords and just speaking to people on there. I was going on the internet, Googling stuff, speaking to people on any forum I could find. And then I just ended up on Facebook. And with, with Facebook, I, feel, I would say it was, it's a lot, 
it's a lot better because on, on Reddit I was chatting to people one by one instead of getting like everyone's in one place. So like when it came to the support groups um, on Facebook, such as the HEA one, it was sort of like I could find more people just like myself. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess it was sort of like it was a different kind of support where I could I felt free. I could talk and open up about things. Because on sites like Reddit, anyone can sort of comment. Mm-hmm. On Facebook, you can have private groups or any certain people can talk to you in that group. So I wouldn't have like people harassing me and people trolling me and trying to like make funny jokes or something like that. So it was like I could feel safe and secure and, and talk amongst people like myself. For sure. Yeah. That's great. And so, you know, what do you want other men and maybe even parents to know about what it's what it's been like or what it, you know, your experiences or what, you know, what they, they should know to to be able to kind of reach the point that you've been able to to reach in so many different ways, as you talked about today. So I would say that it's important to, to speak to many people. If you want to speak to doctors, speak to as many doctors as you can, ask as many questions as possible, get like, get as much across, much information across as you can. When it comes to surgeries and results, everyone's going to be a bit different. I would say, as for hypospadias, now that I have to live with severe hypospadias, it's made me realise that maybe hypospadia surgery isn't as needed because when I was last in the doctor, in, in the hospital, I asked the doctor if um, I could still have kids with no issue and still wouldn't have any problems being sexual. And they said, yeah, you should still be able to have kids. There should be no issues. You're going to have to go about it ever so slightly different, but that's the only issue that, that, that should, should, that should um, be present. Apart from that, you can, you can do everything else. You can live a normal life. I feel like when it comes to parents, it can be a bit of a scare realizing all this and juggling the information. So I would say don't rush into any surgeries, take time, do the amount of research and, as long as they can, there's no pain. They can, they can go toilet and wee properly. There's no need to rush into it. Uh, well said, Bonnie. Do you have uh, any any questions? Um, tell us about going on television. What was was that about? So yeah, when I went on on TV, I remember. So um, you have to go through a few processes first, where I was chatting to like someone on like a webcam, and I sort of had to talk them through the surgery about that to show them, and um, that was all like a bit odd but it didn't i didn't feel that nervous doing that and when it got to the day of filming i remember traveling and that was the most nervous part was the whole build-up to go into the um the studio but once i got there i got sat down and i got told what was going to happen i was like oh god because the first bit i had to film there was um so for the for this um for this tv show basically they had a room full of just full of cameras full 360 around me i think it was around 200 cameras in that room and they were all used to make like a, a 3d scan of myself and I had to walk in the room and I, there was a whole room for the cameras all around me. And I had to sort of get naked and speak about the surgeries and speak and show show my body. And um, that was a unique experience. And then from there, the show was basically about people who wanted to look into like, look into surgery and and see um, see for themselves the before and after. So they would use like the 3D scan that it made of me and they would use that to show how I look now and how I look after surgery. And then during that show as well, I got to speak to a doctor and he would um, tell me about how it would all go down, how it would all happen. I, w- I did actually go on the show to speak about my hyperspadius, but unfortunately we couldn't do that in the end. So we ended up agreeing on lowering my testicles a bit more and looking for um, looking into getting like a long bit more length 
and Gurf. And they sort of showed the different methods going around that, which was interesting. But um, the reason I went on the show in the first place, I thought it would up my confidence a bit more. But from registering to go on the show to filming, I grew so much confidence in that time. So it was, um, I was almost like a different person when I was actually on the show compared to how I was when I signed up for it. But yeah, overall, it was just a surreal experience. And I got to meet some amazing people as well on the show who were also, who also had like issues with their body. So some of them were just a matter of that they wanted a bigger size or they wanted, it, or, or there were women on there who wanted some larger breasts. And it made me realize that everyone sort of has their own insecurities. That's amazing. I just, again, I, I just, I mean, I, I don't know that I would have the courage to do that for sure. I mean, that just really takes a lot of confidence. And I just think that's fantastic. I noticed it when I was in university, because I never really went out drinking too much until I went to uni. And um, basically when I go to like pubs or, or bars, clubs, it wouldn't happen all the time, but it would happen like a fair, fair bit often for, for like it shouldn't it like it shouldn't have actually happened as often as it did but there'll be times where i'll be drinking a fair bit and i need to keep going back and forth to the toilet because of where my hyperplasia is located i can't go go to the urinal so i have to sit down on the toilet and use the cubicle and there'll be either sometimes security would keep seeing me going back and forth to the toilet or sometimes there'll be people in the bathroom like making sure people are like not doing anything and I would have times where I, have, I would have security bang on the door telling me to get out because I've been using the cubicle too much and they think I'm doing like drugs or anything else illegal. I've had times where I've had security peek over over the top to see what I'm doing, mm. and even where I've I've left um I've left the toilet and told them that I need to use the cubicle, and they would threaten me with like like searching me and everything to make sure I ain't got drugs in me and stuff like that. And they would do this like in the toilet, like in in the in the bathroom in front of everyone. So it was like a bit embarrassing because i remember i remember it happened one time that was like the first sort of time i went clubbing so it, it made like the night it sort of it can ruin the night out because i could be having like a good night and all of a sudden i've got security like harassing me and stuff and sometimes you try to explain to them they don't want to listen and when it's happening in front of everyone you, you sometimes feels a bit like oh like, I, I want it it's a bit embarrassing you, you sort of want to escape the situation right right i would imagine and then you'd have to you know probably explain it to your friends that you're there with why they were harassing you, <laughs> you don't have to explain why they were giving you such a hard time. And, you know, I'd imagine it put you in a very awkward situation. Uh, yeah. The first few times it did, but I, I sort of, it sounds like I shouldn't really have to say that I got used to it, but I guess I, right. I got used to it. I shouldn't have to say that. Um, but lucky for me, all my friends know about it. Like every, every single friend I've got at the moment, they all knew, know about it. So if anything does get out of hand, and I need someone to help step in and sort of let them like to sort of back me up so they know that I'm telling the truth. My friends will come involved and they'll say that he, he can't use his toilet because of so and so. And I always had like my friends to like help support me in them situations. That's that's really that's great. So I mean it sounds like you you've already achieved like a very, very big comfort level in in being able to express it with your friends, with others, TV. I mean, you know, in terms of where you see, I guess, yourself as an advocate going forward and also maybe where you would like to see the discussion go for people. Like, I mean, as we know, it's not everybody's aware of this condition and, you know, it's a very private condition for a lot of people. Uh, where, where do you think um, advocacy for this is headed or where would you like to see it headed? So for the longest time, I felt like I was the only person with it. And when I realized how common it actually is, it sort of shocked me. Because every single friend I've spoken to about it, 
they've never heard of it before. As of recently, there's a, there's a show that I've watched. It's called um, it's called Dave. It's by a, um, a rapper called Lil Dicky. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's sort of spoken about hyperspadius and that, and that's definitely sort of raised awareness. Because I remember when I've posted um, nudes online before, people will comment saying, "Oh, like, I've, I know about this from this show and that show." Mm-hmm. So I'm definitely getting more out there. But um, I would I would say there needs to be a bit more support for people to actually open up about it. It's all right having people know about the condition, but there needs to be more of a safe space for people to feel like they can speak about it. Because I think I feel like at the moment, it's a lot of people can speak about it with other people with hyperspadias, but it can be very hard to bring up in other situations such as with partners and um, friends. And for something so common, I think it should be more more well known to the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, I completely agree. And you bring up an interesting point too. I mean, bringing it up with partners and you know opening up that that dialogue. I mean, just from what you've told us here today, I mean, you know, you're going to give a lot of other people a lot of confidence just by seeing what you've been able to do. And you know, I just I, I can't tell you how how impressed I am by what you've been able to do. I mean, I think back to myself at your age and I was nowhere close, <laughs> nowhere close to this uh, awareness of myself and condition and, and the bravery that, that you've shown is just really remarkable. What advice would you have for parents, for new parents who are first hearing about this? So uh, there is, um, so as for parents, there are support groups out there just dedicated just for parents. A lot of them are on Facebook that I've noticed and, um, even even on other support groups where you can chat to others who are like my sort of age where they've lived with it for a bit bit of a bit of time and they can sort of give you some advice and everything. Similar to what I said before, and I guess just there's no need to rush into surgery. There's no need to panic. It's a very common condition. Ask doctors as much as much information as you as you as you need if you need something re-explained. Make sure you do that. Just don't hesitate to sort of ask as much. Yeah, just don't hesitate to, to ask it. If you get to have a child, yeah, or children, and a son is born with hypospadias, how would you plan their medical treatment? What would you want for that son? In my opinion, I don't. I think for me, maybe it's because of the way I've had surgery and the way I've been brought up with with hypospadias, but. I wouldn't go, I don't think I would look into surgery. I don't think it'd be something that would worry me and unless there was issues such as like pain or trouble with urinating. Because as myself, I've got like a severe condition of it and I've been able to live a very decent life and I'm hoping to live a very good sexual life in the future. So it's definitely not saying I'd rush into, nor, nor don't think I would consider surgery. But if I was going to, I think I would just take baby steps of it. I wouldn't panic. I wouldn't rush into anything. And I think I would leave it till my son was a bit older so maybe he could make the decision himself because it may maybe no issue to him. Maybe don't bother him. He might just look at it and think, oh, okay, well, I've got hyperspadias. That's cool. <laughs> you never know. Everyone reacts different. You're right. You know, it doesn't, you know, it's a spectrum. As you've said, I mean, you know, people with severe hyperspadias might just say what you, you know, what you said, hey, it's kind of cool, something different. And there might be somebody who has what others might consider mild, could be very distressing. And neither's right and neither's wrong, you know? But um, I'm curious, we were bringing up emotions earlier. So I was just curious what you've done to cope. You know, what are some things that have worked for you, you know, through the years? I think for me, I would say that talking to people like friends and family was 
the biggest sort of impact. It was, it was the first thing I actually done to sort of work on myself, and because I think I feel like before that I felt a bit like alone with it all. I feel like it was my struggle and I had to deal with it by myself. I, I was almost afraid, I guess, to talk about it and open up. I think that was a big part because it helped show that. I guess it helped show that people are can be supportive. People can understand. Even even people in my life who don't have the same condition, they fully understand and they can not exactly relate, but they can. They're there on like a caring and supportive level. I would say everyone's got their own sort of journey to um to accepting themselves. So everyone's got to be a bit different when it comes when it comes to um finding ways around it but i feel like the beauty in it is you can sort of dig deeper into yourself and you can learn more about yourself what triggers you what what makes you happy what doesn't and it's no race you can do it in your own steps it's all right any, any progress is progress whether it's small or big i feel like for me the fact that i've i would, I would say i'm still a work in progress but i've come quite far i feel like that can that will help me in anything else that life throws at me later on in life i feel like i can i, I can look back and say I've dealt with the cards I've been dealt and I've overcome stuff back then. So anything that comes at me in the future, I can get past it. Well, I just, I've already said it, but I, I just, I can't say, you know, how much courage and, and bravery it's it's taken for you to overcome so many of these things to such a, a large degree. I just think it's fantastic. And uh, I think it's gonna be a real inspiration for anyone that listens to this. Bonnie, any closing thoughts? I'm with you and Tom just... If everyone could go through your process, I guess our community would be in better shape. Thank you for pointing the way. Well, it's it's very it's very inspiring, Tom. I mean, being able to even open up to family. You know, there's there's men that are you know have, have lived most of their lives and have not been able to do that. You know, we've I'm sure we've both met people, you know, um, and heard stories. Uh, so. To be able to to do this is is really um, you know just a really really impressive thing. I have no doubt that you know you're going to continue to really inspire people with this. I, I I see this really like being like I can tell already. I mean, just from from talking to you, what a natural thing it is for you just to kind of express this. So it's it's really really yeah yeah it, that that's I mean that's all of it right there. I mean, so many people can't ever get to that point. So. My hat's off to you. And th thank you for, for your time today, Tom. And thank you, Bonnie. And uh, thank you all for listening. And uh, we will see you again next time on Hyperspadius Conversations. Thank you. Thanks for having me. The hosts of this podcast are not medical professionals. And the information presented during the podcast is not intended as a substitute for medical advice. If you or someone you love has a medical question concerning hypospadias, please consult your physician.